0: This morning, we're going to return to our study through a portion of 2 Timothy. We're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 4, so you can make your way there in your Bible. We're going to read the first five verses of 2 Timothy chapter 4 in just a moment. The Apostle Paul is bringing this letter to his son, Timothy, in the faith. He's He's winding down. He's bringing his letter to a close after having encouraged Timothy to fan into flame the gift of God that was in him, and having warned him of the difficulties that he would face in his ministry, the difficulties he would face in the last days, and having reminded him of the inspiration of the Holy Scripture. Now, in the verses that we're going to read together, he gives his son. In the faith, a formal charge, a formal charge for his ministry. And so I'd invite you to please stand with me in honor of God as we read his word together. We're going to read Second Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. We'll read through verse 5. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. You can be seated. Father, we honor you this morning. We are here as your people, people whom you have called, people whom you've redeemed. It's been our joy to sing to you this morning, to sing praises to your great name, O Most High. And now as we read and and hear from your word, we pray that you would come and help us. You would be our teacher this morning. Give us understanding that we would know you. Make us like Christ, your son. We pray in his name. Amen. Perhaps some of you are familiar with The Ministry of Ligonier. Ligonier Ministries was started in 1971 by the late R.C. Sproul. And now for more than 50 years, for 50 years, this ministry has been dedicated to making the deep truths of the Christian faith accessible to growing believers. One of the outreaches of, of Ligonier Ministries is a monthly magazine called Table Talk. And in this magazine, each edition, there's a a section under the heading Corum Deo. It's a column under this heading, Corum Deo. This phrase, Corum Deo, is a Latin phrase which means in the presence of God, before the face of God. To live quorum Deo, says R.C. Sproul, is to live one's entire life in the presence of God, under the authority of God, to the glory of God. In the passage we just read, Paul reminds Timothy that his ministry, his ministry is being carried out in the presence of God. We can draw a parallel to the present day. As Timothy lived his life in the presence of God, so we, so each of us are living our lives before the presence of God. Therefore, the charge that Paul is giving to Timothy is one that you and I need to hear this morning. We need to hear the word of the Apostle Paul to his son in the faith. And though not all of us have been charged with the task of preaching in the same way that Timothy did, each of us have been called to live our lives before the presence of God. Coram Deo. Paul issues a charge to Timothy that's of great importance. Let's look at this charge together this morning and notice four things. The first thing we're going to note is the context of the charge. Notice the context. The context of the charge is the presence of God. As Paul begins, he's he's setting the scene, as it were. He's giving the context for this charge, a context for the commands that are going to follow. And he says, I charge you in the presence of God, And of Christ Jesus, this is a solemn charge. Timothy's being reminded, he's he's carrying out his ministry, he's living his life before the very presence of Almighty God, the one who sees and knows all things. The writer of the book of Proverbs says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. So Timothy's being charged in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. This is a way to say that Christ will judge all people, those who are alive at his return and those who have died. Every person from every era of human history will one day stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, the judge. The one appointed by the Father to judge the world. And he will do that upon his appearing. The the appearing of Christ refers to his second coming. The time when Christ will come again. It's a future appearance. In fact, this word appearing appears six times in the New Testament, and five of those six times it refers to this second coming. Christ's future appearing. this appearing is certain. It's sure to come. We go back to the book of Acts. In the very beginning of the book, we're we're given the, the scene of the disciples gathered around their Lord. And he tells them to wait. And they would receive power when the Holy Spirit would come upon them, and then they were to go and be his witnesses. And then Christ was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. His appearing is certain. At his appearing, he will will consummate. He will bring to final fulfillment his kingdom. So the certainty of his appearing and of his kingdom, the certainty of the appearing of Christ, the certainty of his kingdom, the one who will judge the world, this adds weightiness to the charge that Paul is giving to Timothy. We might think about it like this. Paul says, Timothy... Timothy, my son, you need to have your perspective shaped by the reality of the certain appearing of Christ. I know that things are hard, and they will continue to be so. Keep your eyes focused straight ahead. Don't be distracted by those who don't want to hear the truth. Don't be distracted by the evildoers doers. The Lord will take care of them upon his return. Paul, as an apostle, was an authoritative voice in Timothy's life. And still, Paul charges Timothy in the presence of God. In the presence of God, this adds great solemnity, a great weightiness to the charge Maybe a very simple illustration will help us in this. Picture two young kids in the backyard, brother and sister, their little ones. and it's time for dinner. And so one of the older siblings, a teenager, goes out and says, "Hey guys, put your toys away. It's time to come in for dinner." They recognize there is some authority, some authority there, the older sibling. But how much more weight does this carry when the older sibling goes out and says something like this, hey guys, mom said or dad said it's time to put your toys away and come in for dinner. Paul's charge to Timothy in the presence of God is a serious one. Timothy, as a minister of the gospel, was living out his ministry in the presence of God. The same may be said for every pastor today. Those who've been called to shepherd and teach God's people will give an account to God for their care for his people. It's not a trivial responsibility. James Warns, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. As pastors live their lives, carry out their ministries before the presence of God, so every person, each of us, are living our lives before the presence of holy God. So we see the context of the charge. The context of the charge is the presence of God. Let's look now at the content. What is the content of this charge? The content of the charge is preach the word. Preach the word. I understand this to be the primary imperative. What does it mean to preach? What does this word mean? The word translated preach means to proclaim publicly to proclaim aloud, to, to herald, to announce. Picture the town crier walks out into the street and he puts his hands on his mouth and what does he say? Hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. He's proclaiming. He's announcing. And what is it that Timothy is to herald? He's to herald the word. All of it. He's to proclaim scripture. He's to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, the one who had come to take away the sins of man. The content of the charge is preach the word. In receiving this charge, Timothy could look to his mentor, to Paul, as an example. Paul said to the Thessalonians, for you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. There it is. While we proclaimed to you the gospel of God, or he said to the Ephesian elders, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Timothy was to preach the word. We could say that preaching the word Is the mark of the faithful preacher. The mark of the faithful preacher is not eloquence, it's not charisma, it's not his ability to entertain or to hold an audience captive or his intellect. The mark of the faithful preacher is the content of the message. What does he preach? It must be the word of God. A preacher may be very gifted in oratory. He may be able to persuade, but if he's not preaching the word of God, he cannot be called a faithful preacher. There are other marks of a faithful preacher, of course. Personal character comes to mind. But it's certainly not less than preaching the word. Paul understood this. Listen to what he said as he wrote his letter to the Corinthians about himself and his preaching. This is 1 Corinthians 2. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. His focus was on the word of God. What I'm saying here shouldn't be construed to, uh, to mean that preachers should be boring or they should give no mind to their delivery. The point being made is that the focus must be the word of God and this is what Paul is charging Timothy to do. When is he to do this? Answer, all the time. In season and out of season. When it seems to be convenient, when it's inconvenient when he's healthy when he's ill when the hearers are eager to receive the message and when they don't respond well to the message timothy was to be vigilant he was to be attentive to att- to the task he to preach the word in season and out of season and in his in his preaching he's to Reprove and rebuke and exhort. Let's look at these three. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. The first two, reprove and and rebuke, are are similar. To reprove is is to correct a person, to expose the error. In the context, it it could refer to reproving or confronting false teachers in the church. We reprove by looking to the Scripture and then correcting a person who is in error based on what the Scripture says. We learn to reason from the Scripture and expose the error. We contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints by correction We reprove according to sound doctrine. This is one of the tasks of the preacher in his preaching. Reprove and rebuke. To rebuke is to call a person to end an action. Listen to how the word is used in Luke 17 and verse 3. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. So to reprove is is to expose the error. This thing that you're doing is is wrong. It's, It's sinful. It's reproof. And then to rebuke is to call the person to turn, to stop. Stop the action. The preaching of the word of God must include reproof and rebuke. The faithful preacher, the one who preaches the word, doesn't stop with reproof and rebuke, but he continues on to exhort. This word could be translated encourage. It's to encourage a person towards spiritual growth, spiritual maturity and change. After having pointed out the error, reproving, after calling the person to turn, To stop that action, rebuke, he exhorts. He encourages. Encourage the person to walk in godliness. It's right for us to pause and consider the beauty of the word of God. Consider the glory of the word of God. It's sufficient. It's sufficient for Teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness. And when the word is faithfully preached, these things are happening. Namely, reproof and rebuke and exhortation. And Timothy is to do these things. But he's also given instruction for how. In other words, while it's essential for the preacher to do these things, it's, it's of equal importance how he does them. These things are to be done with complete patience and teaching. The preacher is to remember he is an under-shepherd of the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, who himself was patient. How patient is the Savior? How often does he correct us? She show us our sin and, and gently lead us back. Gently lead us along. How patient is Christ. Paul understood his patience toward him. In his first letter to Timothy, he said, "But I received mercy for this reason: that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience. As an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life, the preacher must not become frustrated and impatient with God's people, remembering how patient the Lord is toward him. And so the preacher is to preach the word. This is the content of the charge, and in so doing, he's to reprove and rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. The faithful preacher, in so doing, cares for souls. He cares for souls. The, The Puritans who, in the 16th and 17th centuries, they gave great attention to applying doctrine, sound theology, The lives of believers. They gave great attention for this, and they've often been called physicians of the soul. Physicians of the soul for their ability to identify a spiritual problem. Here's what's going on. Here's the heart condition. They were very skilled in this. And then the ability to apply the gospel as the remedy to the problem. Physicians of the soul. As I think about preachers being, like the Puritans, physicians of the soul, I think an analogy of a physician for the physical body may be helpful for us. It's appropriate, maybe, to help us understand the manner of preaching that Paul is here charging to Timothy. Imagine a physician, a doctor, receiving a call late at night It's not a convenient time. He's already had a long day, but he takes the call. And on the call, he learns that one of his patients is in the hospital in bad shape. So the doctor makes his way to the patient. And he talks with him for a while and makes an assessment of the problem. And out of concern for the health of his patient, he issues a reproof. He says, the path that you're on is a dangerous one. The things you're putting into your body are harmful. Your diet is not good. He issues reproof. Then the physician, out of concern for the well-being of the patient, rebukes him. You need to stop eating this way. You need a change in your diet. You need to start exercising. But the loving physician doesn't stop there. He exhorts his patient. I want you to know that we have, we have some great diet and exercise plans available for you. And more than that, we have people ready, even now, to, to come alongside you and, and to walk alongside you in this to encourage you as you pursue growth and change. All throughout the conversation, this physician takes his time. He's patient. He gives careful instruction. I was speaking with someone not so long ago about a person in their family who had experienced a medical crisis And one of the most comforting things for that person was the way in which the physician took time, talked with them. Maybe this resonates with you in your own experience. As Paul addressed Timothy as a leader in the church, the application can be made today for those who preach the word of God. The preacher The pastor is is to preach the word of God in season and out of season, reproving, rebuking, and exhorting with complete patience and teaching. He must be gentle with God's people. But this application goes beyond those who would preach the gospel. The application may be made to every believer. Consider the spheres of influence that you have. The spheres in which God has placed you as proclaimers of his word. We may proclaim the word of God in our home to our children, in season and out of season. Patiently correcting our children. We proclaim the, God, the Word of God in our peer groups, explaining why we believe what we believe. We proclaim the Word of God to those with whom we work, our neighbors, our friends. And by God's enabling grace, we may be a people who are ready to give an answer for a reason for the hope that is in us. We proclaim the word. The word of God is the content of the charge. Let's now consider the concern for the charge. What is the concern? The concern for the charge is that people will turn away. The reason that Timothy is to preach the word is because there would come a time when people will not endure sound teaching. In fact, the time had already arrived. This wasn't the first time that Paul had told Timothy that this would happen. He had said in his first letter, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Timothy Don't be surprised at this. In fact, you should expect it. The time would come when people would not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, they would have itching ears. Having itching ears, they would look for people to scratch where they itch. They'll accumulate teachers to suit their own passions. The picture here is that of stockpiling these teachers these false teachers who would give them what they wanted to receive. There have always been people who want to hear only what they want to hear. There have always been prophets and teachers and preachers who are willing to tickle the ears of the listeners. Listeners. The prophet Jeremiah spoke of these kind when he said, They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. The people whom Paul is warning Timothy about, who only wanted their ears tickled, they were intrigued by myth, not truth. They would decide what they wanted to hear they would determine what's appropriate to receive. And what they deemed appropriate would be informed by their own passions, their own desires. Here's the passion that I have. This is the passion that I want to pursue. And now I need you to affirm me in that passion. I need you to tell me what I want to hear. The sobering reality, the sobering reality is that Paul was describing a situation that would take place in the church. Some who professed faith will turn away from the faith. The concern in the charge is that people will turn away. I'm reminded of the parable of the sower that we read in the Gospels. you remember how it goes? The sower goes out to sow seed. Some of the seed lands on hard soil and the birds come down and swoop, swoop down and, and scoop up the, the seed. Some of the seed falls on rocky ground. It's just a thin layer of soil and so the seed goes down and it immediately springs up But then the sun comes out and it withers the plant. It doesn't stay. doesn't last. Some of the seed falls among the thorns. And remember, the thorns come up and they choke it out. And then some of the seed falls on good soil and produces an abundant crop. It's a picture of various responses to the truth. We might think about the seed that fell on the rocky soil describing the people that Paul warned Timothy about. They appear to believe. They appear to believe they're in the church, but when tribulation comes, when the teaching of Scripture calls them to forsake their earthly passions, they turn away. They're gone. We should proceed with caution as we examine our own hearts in light of this passage maybe two ways two ways that a person may respond that should raise a flag of caution first when the truth of the word is heard exposes faulty thinking and the response is eh, indifference we might say The other response that should cause concern is a hardness of heart, a response of disdain to the word, disdain to the teaching. We hear the, the teaching and think, why should I listen to that? I'm very happy living the way I'm living, thank you. This should give us Pause. When we're confronted with the word of, of Christ, for example, being the only way of salvation, and the response is, eh. Or we hear about Christ as the only way of salvation, and the response is, how dare you make such a claim? Both of these are concerning responses. This may be a person who only wants to have the ears tickled. I can believe what I want to believe about God and salvation. When we're confronted with the truth of God's word, for example, about what it says about sexual immorality, and the response is, eh. Or, I'm doing just fine, thank you. Or We're confronted with what God's word says about greed or gossip. And the response is, "Eh. or I don't need to hear that anymore. Thank you. Should raise a flag of concern. So, what should a person do who finds him or herself in this kind of situation? I'll tell you run to Christ. Run to Christ. Confess to him, Lord, my heart is hard. I'm indifferent. Believe that he welcomes the sinner. Believe that Christ came to save the most wicked profligate. And he came to save the smug self-righteous. Believe that his word is true and it's a beautiful gift to those who so desperately need it, namely you and I. Believe what God says. Believe his word like he says in Isaiah, but this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. If your heart is hard towards the truth this morning, or if you're indifferent to the truth, cry out to Christ. Cry out to him. Help me trust you. Paul is charging Timothy in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus to preach the word all the time. It's a solemn charge, no doubt, and Timothy needed to understand the solemnity of the charge so that he would continue to preach the word in the midst of the opposition he was sure to face. The concern of the charge is that people will turn away. And this leads then to the final point, the conclusion of the charge. The conclusion of the charge is, fulfill your ministry. As we approach the end of this section, it's important for us to again be reminded of the context in which the beloved Apostle Paul was writing. He's suffering in prison because of the gospel he boldly proclaimed. He knows that his time on earth is very short. He's nearing the end. And he's very much concerned that the pure message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ continued to be proclaimed in the church of God after his departure. And so he charges his son in the faith with this solemn charge. Timothy, Timothy, preach the word. Whatever you do, preach the word. He desires Timothy to be faithful. Faithful to the calling that God has laid upon him. He warns him that people will not want to hear the truth. And now he gives Timothy some directives for his life as a minister of the gospel. Some will fall away, Timothy. Let me tell you. Here are some directives for your life. As for you, but as for you, in contrast to those who will not hear the truth, in contrast to those, Timothy, here's what you are to do. Be sober-minded all the time. What does it mean to be sober-minded? It means to be well-balanced, level-headed, self-controlled. We might say, keep your head. Timothy needed to be level-headed and self-controlled as he preached the word. The opposition he would face would require that of him. People wouldn't like the things he would say. He would need to confront heretical teaching in the church. And he would face the reality that some would walk away from the faith. This is quite unsettling. Knowing that souls are making conscious decision, a conscious decision to turn away from the truth and that that decision has eternal consequence is quite unsettling. Timothy needed to be sober-minded in all circumstances. I was recently listening to a podcast from an individual who in his ministry... Um, he faced many complex, intense situations as he sought to help people. And he said, Some close friends affectionately call me boring. I don't react to things sometimes. This individual understood that the intense situations he was involved in In those intense situations, he could not be emotionally hyper-reactive. He understood he needed to be sober-minded. This was Paul's instruction to Timothy. It's a directive for him. It serves as an instruction for us today. There's no shortage of situations and circumstances that tempt us to lose our heads Goodness, the past two years have proven this. What are the things in your life that cause you to be unsettled, tempt you to lose your head, financial difficulty, a health concern, watching a person whom you love dearly make choices that you know will be harmful to them? As God's people, we who've been indwelt by the Holy Spirit are now able, because of his indwelling, to keep our heads, to be sober-minded. When we're shaken in our mind and and we're not thinking clearly, what do we do? We recall Scripture. Scripture. We commit to memory passages like Isaiah 26, 3, and 4, and we dwell on it. This passage that says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Do you hear this? We're fickle. He's a rock. God help us be sober-minded people. Timothy also was to endure suffering. Enduring suffering, it's a repeated theme we see in 2 Timothy. Paul had just told us that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. They will endure suffering. And so Timothy was to be under no illusion that gospel proclamation would be an easy task. Paul's life was a testimony that hardship accompanies faithful gospel proclamation. Paul knew suffering. He encourages Timothy to endure it. Suffering would accompany faithful gospel proclamation. That continues today. Third, Timothy was to do the work of an evangelist. He was to announce the good news of Christ, announce the glorious gospel in every place He was in. And finally, Paul tells Timothy, fulfill your ministry. The NIV says, discharge all the duties of your ministry. That's helpful. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. That word ministry could be service. Discharge all the duties of your service. Timothy, Here is a call to faithful endurance, to to press on to the very end. This is the conclusion of the charge, the summary command, fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. We may ask ourselves, what is the ministry? What is the service that the Lord has given me? And then, by his grace, we strive to fulfill that ministry. We strive for faithfulness in this service, discharging all the duties of our service to the end. This is a call on each of our lives to fulfill our ministry. And as we do so, we remember our beloved Savior, the one who strengthens us and enables us to fulfill the ministries he has called us to When we began, we talked about this little phrase, Coram Deo. Before the presence of God. We're living our lives before the presence of God. And as we live in the presence of God, may we be faithful to fulfill the ministries that he's called us to. And we do so by proclaiming his word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you haven't left us to ourselves. You've given us your word. You've given us your spirit. And so as we go, we pray for your help. We pray for your help that we would be faithful. We would honor your great name by proclaiming, proclaiming Christ to one another and to a world who so desperately needs you. Help us to do this, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.